morning, Nona Church family. Happy New Year. We doing well today? Yeah? That's good stuff. Well, hey, we've got a group that is watching online. Could you put your hands together and welcome those that are joining us online today? So happy to have you with us. Thanks for being here. And uh, hey, I want to encourage you to do something if you could. I know you just said hi to a number of people. If you could do a favor and just scoot to the center of your rows, that'd be great. We've got some people in the back uh, that are going to need some seats, and we're filling out the room here pretty well today. So if you could just scoot in, that would allow our ushers to be able to seat people as uh, they find a place. Uh, well, hey, my name is Colin. I serve as the lead pastor here uh, at Nona, and I want to say thanks so much for uh, joining us today. It truly is an honor to have you um, here with us. We had a great, great end uh, of the year and are excited to kick off a new year of ministry uh, with each of you. Uh, if you're new here and uh, we haven't met yet, we'd love to be able to connect with you. I'll be up front after the service. We'd love to be able to hear a little bit more about your story, catch your name, and uh, share a little bit about, yeah, what this experience is like and hear about how we can help you know and take your next best step in following Jesus. Uh, a couple of things that I want to cover as we begin the year. The first one has to do with this formation journal. Uh, if you have it, would you go ahead and hold it up so I know that you have it right here? This is very, very important. Uh, one of the things that we heard as we did our survey uh, last year was that a number of people in our church are in a place where they would say, hey, I want to grow in my faith with God. I want to be able to connect with him on a regular basis, not just on Sundays, uh, but I'm struggling to figure out how to do that on the day today. And our team responded in an incredible way. And what you have in your hand uh, is something that we've been praying about and wanting to do now for quite some time. This is our formation journal. Uh, this formation journal has been designed by our spiritual formation team. Can we put our hands together for all the people that put this together? Just an incredible job. Uh, and here's, here's what it is. Uh, this spiritual formation journal uh, is meant to accompany you on Sunday morning, every single Sunday, even starting today. That's why you've got your Nona Church pen there with you. You can go ahead and open it up if you want to right now and go ahead and flip to page six is where it starts on page six. You'll see that there's a place for Sunday sermon notes. And so we want you to begin taking notes and be able to reflect on what you're learning on a Sunday morning. Every single Sunday, you can connect by uh, taking notes here, uh, research shows that 40% of what we hear is lost, but when we write it down, our retention rate increases uh, exponentially. And so we want to give you an opportunity to be able to take notes and follow along here on Sunday. But alongside that, the Formation Journal also has a five-day community Bible reading plan. And so this gives us an opportunity as a community to jump into the scriptures. You're kind of like going to the gym. If you don't have a plan, it's kind of hard to know what to do when you're working out. Well, we wanted to make that plan for you. So when you get up in the morning or when you're ending your day, you can open up your formation journal and the scriptures are there for you to read. There's a place for you to take notes, opportunities for you to jot down information as well as God is teaching you and working uh, in your heart. And for the next 21 days as a church, we're going to be focusing on prayer because we believe that prayer opens up uh, our hearts to understand what God wants for us. And it's especially true in a new year. And there's particular places where you can write down prayers. Uh, you have some prompts that would allow you to, to learn how to pray as well. And this gift uh, is given to you for free. It's because of your generosity and the ways that so many people gave last year that we were able to print and make sure that everybody gets a copy of this. And so this runs from January to May. May, and then in June, you'll get your second installment of your formation journal. But for the entire year, you're going to have access to a guide to help you grow spiritually. Is that not exciting? Is that not an incredible thing that we're doing here? 
Yeah, so thanks so much for being a part of it. So we're going to start today. Uh, you'll hear me say this on occasion, but go ahead and open up your formation journals uh, as we take uh, some notes today uh, for our Sunday sermon. Our series today that we're kicking off is a series I'm very excited about. It's called Pause. Would you say pause with me on the count of three? One, two, three. Pause. That's right. In a world that wants to hurry us up, wants to wear us down, and wants to burn us out, what if there's a better way for us to live? That word pause um, has been the word that I would say in 2022, God used in a significant way to shape me. Over the next three weeks, I'm going to basically be teaching you what I believe was the primary thing that God taught me in 2022 and where he's leading all of us uh, in our spiritual life. And so just kind of a heads up, uh, this, is a, this is one sermon that's going to be taught over three weekends, if that makes sense, all right? So you might walk away from today saying, but I, I wonder about X or I want to know about Y. We'll get to it, all right? I just have a small window of time on Sundays, and I can't get everything in uh, one message. And so over the next three Sundays, we're going to be looking at this theme, pause. We're going to be looking at what it looks like to live a life that we can enjoy instead of living a life that we just endure. We're going to look at how to grow spiritually in a way that leads to sustainability in our life. So words like burnt out and exhausted and tired and overwhelmed aren't the first things that come to our mind when we think about our life. Because there is a way that God's designed life to work that can allow us to flourish even in the midst of busy seasons, difficult realities, tons of kids, and a demanding job. There is a way to live in a rhythm of life that God would bless and lead to our flourishing. And I think there's no better way for us to start the year than to allow our hearts to be oriented to and aligned to the way in which God desires us to live. Can I get a good amen for that? If you say, yeah, that's helpful, right? Okay. So here's what I want to just kind of lay out before you today. I want to lay out the problem, and then I'll talk a bit about the solutions in the coming weeks. But speaking of problems, um, I have a problem uh, that maybe some of you can resonate uh, with. And my problem is a struggle that I've had uh, with my wife Stacy now for almost 18 years. Since we've been together since our dating days, this is a struggle and a battle that we have had to deal with. And we still, 18 years later, uh, continually battle with this reality. It is an ongoing struggle. And here's the struggle. It, it shows up when we're in airports. Uh, it shows up when we're at Disney. It shows up when we've got to go anywhere. And it's this. It's that I walk at a far faster pace than Stacy does. Now, now, maybe you've been here before. Have you ever been in a situation where I'm just walking and I realize that I'm no longer walking with my wife. She's like back there somewhere and I'm here. Now, I like to think that the reason why that's the case is it's a simple, you know, reality. Like, I'm all about the destination. I want to get there as fast as possible. If you're a road trip person, like, I, you want as many, as, as limited an amount of stops as necessary. If you're flying, I want the nonstop flight. I don't want a layover. Get me to my destination as fast as possible. My lovely wife has a very different outlook on life. She's like, oh, where are the community parks in a random town? And let's go there for three hours. And I'm like, I want to get to the house that we're getting to. She's like, what's the cheapest flight for us? Oh, it only has seven stops. We can spend time in an airport. Wouldn't that be fun? Like, very, very different, right? And so what happens oftentimes is I'll be walking and I'll and turn around and realize she's nowhere near me. Like, I have outpaced her. 
Now, it might be a personality thing, that I like to get to a destination and she likes the journey. Or it just might be a physiological thing, like I'm tall and she's itty bitty, like that could be it as well. But we run into this situation over and over and over again, that I end up walking out ahead of my wife. My pace is faster than her pace. And that can have a negative impact on our relationship. There can be times where my wife gets kind of irritated and frustrated because we're supposed to be on a romantic walk. And I forgot that because I'm walking by myself. And while that can put friction in our marital relationship, I think it can also be true about our spiritual relationship. That there are times in our own life where we might be walking faster than God. That God wants to go on a walk with us and we might run out ahead of him. This series, Pause, addresses that tension that we feel even in our spiritual life. Which is, God, why won't you hurry up? Or, or God, why won't you answer this prayer? Or, God, I'm, I've been waiting for you. Where are you? The word pause means a temporary stop in action or speech. It doesn't mean that you stop forever. It doesn't mean that you end it for good. It just means that there's a temporary moment where you calibrate and stop to recognize where things are. And what I want us to do in the month of January as a church, as families, as individuals, as friends, is to take the month of January to pause, to take a deep breath, and begin to make some decisions ahead of time about how we're going to spend 2023 so that we might come to the end of the year saying, this was the best year that I've ever had. And this could be your best year if it's your best year in your spiritual life. But what is the greatest enemy to your spiritual life? What would you say it is? Perhaps you might say, well, the greatest enemy to my spiritual life is this habit I just can't seem to kick. Or the the greatest enemy to my spiritual life is this frustration that I have with an unanswered prayer. Or the greatest enemy to my spiritual life is is this, this sin pattern that continually raises its head. Well, I might submit to you that your greatest enemy, that the greatest enemy to your spiritual life, although those things are real enemies, that the greatest enemy has to do with what Jesus would describe in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30. That tension that I just laid out that Stacy and I experienced. That the greatest enemy to your spiritual life is your pace. It's the speed at which we're living our lives. Listen to what Jesus invites us into in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30. Jesus is around his disciples. He's teaching and he's communicating, there's people that are beginning to gather around him because they want to know what it is and who it is that this man is. And Jesus gives kind of his great invitation to follow him. And I want you to listen to the way that he speaks. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, are you tired? Anybody would would resonate with that? Yeah, uh, yeah, a little bit. Are you tired? Right? Ears are perked because they're tired. Maybe there's a young mom who's trying to corral her kids as she's hearing Jesus speak and she hears some man say, are you tired? And she says, I am. He says, are you worn out? Anybody felt that way? It's like, man, after the Christmas holiday and the new year, I was supposed to feel rested and rejuvenated and refreshed and yet I don't feel that way. 
Are you tired? Are you worn out? This is Jesus' kind of hook for people to lean in and listen. Because are you burned out on religion? And I know I've talked to a number of you that this is exactly where you are. I mean, church is just church or rules. And you've had a moment in your life or a history in different parts of your life where faith became more like rules and regulations than it felt like life and joy. And you're just exhausted of the religious thing. Jesus says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Like, that's who I've come for. The tired people, the burned out people, the worn out people. He says, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I mean, the life that you were meant to live, the one that you feel like you've lost, if you come to me, you'll actually get that back. Now pay attention to these words. He says, I'll show you how to take a real rest. Now this is important because many of us know Jesus as our Savior. Many of us know Jesus as our King. Many of us know Jesus as our Lord. But we don't tend to think about Jesus as our model and our example. And what you see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what you see in the life of Jesus is the perfect example of how to live everyday life. Jesus didn't just come to save you for the next life. Jesus came to save you in this life so that you might know how to live now, like heaven on earth is happening now, as opposed to having to wait for some day later. He says, pay attention to the way that I do it. He says, walk with me. Would you say that word with me on the count of three? One, two, three. Walk. One more time. One, two, three. Walk. One more time. Walk. Walk with me. And work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And then listen to Jesus' promise. He says, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting. That that word means cumbersome. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Anybody in this room, anybody online saying that's the kind of life that I want to be living? A life that is free, a life that feels light, a life that feels free of the, the stress and overwhelm and exhaustion that comes with going from this place to that place and doing that thing. This is the invitation of Jesus to live in a, in a way that allows us to experience him deeply. Now, what I find interesting about that is that when you and I think about our life and the weeks that we have, or perhaps even the last few days, Would the words free and light be the words that would describe the way that you feel? Perhaps right now it does because we just came off of a holiday. But can I tell you that this message might be to the future you when you start traveling in a couple of weeks? Or the future you when you start having more business meetings and more things that come on the calendar? Or the kids begin to pick up? Uh, with their routine. Can we agree that there's these lulls in life that make us seem like we're doing better than we are? And then a couple months later, we think, how do we end up in this mess again? Yeah, it it, it reminds me of this reality, right? When Jesus says, walk with me. When when I think of that word, walk with me, it's meant the word. Because you, the world to me. Because you might feel like you're walking now, 
And this is a pretty leisurely walk, right? Some of you might say, hey, this is how life feels for me right now. But over the next couple of weeks, here's what's going to happen. The alarm is going to start going off, and you're going to start checking the phone, right? And then there's going to be a number of emails that you've got to start answering. And then it's time to grab coffee. And then you've got to take the kids to school, don't you? And the kids forgot their lunch because they always forget their lunch, right? And then after that, you've got a bunch of classes that you've got to get to, deadlines that are due, work that's got to be done, emails to be responded to. Then you've got to go pick up the kids. Then you've got to go grab a meal. Then you forgot that you were supposed to plan a trip and your wife's anniversary is coming up. You forgot about that one. And now you're running to that thing. And then the boss calls and it's 7 o'clock at night and you thought that you set better boundaries, but then you didn't set better boundaries. So now you're tired and exhausted. And it's week one, week two, week three, week four. You wake up tired. You go to bed tired. You wake up angry. You go to bed angry. And then you just want to get off. Let's check my heart rate real quick. What is that? What is that at? That feels like our life sometimes, doesn't it? Here's what I want you to hear me say today. (laughs) It's impossible to follow Jesus if you're running out ahead of him. It's impossible to follow Jesus if you're running out ahead of him. And here's what's interesting about Jesus is that Jesus always walked. See, we find in the library of Scripture that walking is a central theme. So today what I want to do is give you a biblical theology of walking. Usually I take one text and just teach it through. But today what I want to do is take the theme of walking and show you how it's been used throughout the Scriptures. First thing I want you to write down is that walking describes God's relationship with us. Leviticus chapter 26, verse 12 says this, And I will walk among you, and you will be your God, and you shall be my people. Here's the second thing we see in the scriptures. Walking describes what our obedience looks like to Jesus. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 6, Observe the commandments of the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by fearing him. This this word, walking, this phrase, those who walked with God, it's used throughout the Old Testament to compliment great heroes of the faith. Leonard Ravenhill has this great quote. He said, smart men walked on the moon. Daring men walked on the ocean floor. But wise men walked with God. Enoch walked with God. Noah walked with God. David walked with God. Thirdly, walking describes our purpose. Look at Ephesians. Ephesians has three great texts where Paul describes our journey of faith. And he says this, For we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared ahead of time 
so that we should, what's our word? Walk in them. Meaning your purpose, the plan that God has for your life has been laid out and mapped out. And that purpose is not meant to be sprinted through. It's meant to be walked in. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And lastly, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. So then, be careful how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise. Number four, walking describes exactly how Jesus lived. I made this argument that Jesus was always walking. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, John, reflecting on the life of his best friend Jesus, says, the one who says he resides in God ought himself to walk just as Jesus, what? Walked. Much like we see God's promise to Israel in Leviticus 26, that I will walk with you. There is not, and pay attention to this, this is massive. There is not a moment in all of the biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, where it is recorded that Jesus ever ran anywhere. Instead, what we see over and over and over again in the biblical record is that God in flesh, Jesus himself, walks. He walks even when it would make more sense for him to run. When a little girl is sick and needs to be healed, Jesus walks to heal her. When Lazarus, his best friend, dies, Jesus waits for a few days and then walks to his good friend's grave where he resurrects him. When Jesus is headed to Calvary, carrying a cross that would one day pay for our sin, shame, and guilt, it says that Jesus walked up the hill to Calvary. And then in Luke chapter 24, when Jesus resurrects, there's these two disciples who are leaving where uh, Jesus was in Jerusalem, headed towards Emmaus, downtrodden and disappointed because their Savior, their Messiah, had been murdered by a Roman cross. And they had not yet received the news that Jesus had resurrected. And Luke chapter 24 tells us that Jesus appears to them while they're walking down the road. And instead of popping behind a bush, out of a bush and saying, ha ha, I'm back, that's not what he does. But he walks with them for miles down the road to Emmaus, listening to them, explaining to them who he is, and then finally when they sit down at a meal, revealing who he is. There is not a place, hear me, there is not a place in all of the record of Jesus' life where you will ever see him running, rushed, or hurried. And I get it. You might be objecting as you're listening to this message saying, that's great, but he's Jesus, and I'm not. But don't forget that Jesus emptied himself of everything so that he might know exactly what it's like to be us. That Jesus felt the same stress that we felt. That Jesus knew what it was like to have demands on his time. Goodness, Jesus had a mama that made him, wanted to make him make wine. I mean, he had demands. People were asking him questions all the time. Everybody wanted Jesus. He was way more in demand than any of us are. And yet he never lived a life of rush or hurry 
or overwhelmed busyness. And yet, no one could argue that Jesus is not the most productive person that has ever lived. I mean, in three years, this man started a movement that has billions of followers to this day. In three years, this man was so impacting on human history that we literally define time based upon him. There was B.C. and then there was A.D., right? Anybody else got that kind of like impact in your life, right? And here's what blows my mind, is that the Old Testament is filled with hundreds of prophecies about who the Messiah would be. Jesus knew what all of those prophetic things were that needed to be accomplished for him to authenticate himself as the Messiah. And in three years, Jesus finished every single one of those things. Every single thing on Jesus' to-do list got checked off in three years, including the redemption of all of humanity. Okay, like that's pretty impressive. Yeah, we could clap for that. Thank you, Jesus. Like that's good stuff. And yet, the life that we live looks nothing like that sometimes, does it? Which leads to the last point. Is that unique just for Jesus or is it meant for us? Well, what we find in, is that walking not only described how Jesus lived, but walking describes how we are supposed to live. You were not designed for a hurried and rushed life. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. Eugene Peterson has this great line. He says, to follow Jesus implies that we enter into a way of life that is given character and shape and direction by the one who calls us. Jesus was never in a hurry. Now I want you to compare that to our lives. Mental note, I'm not doing what I just did earlier. We're, we're done with that. But this pace right here is about three miles per hour. Write this down in your notes. Jesus never moved faster than three miles per hour. That's the average pace of a 30-year-old man who's walking. Three miles per hour. Now, as I do this and as I walk on this treadmill for the next couple of moments, I want you to ask yourself this question. Does this pace echo and imitate the pace of your life? Is this the speed that you're moving at? Now, what I like about this speed, trust me, I'm on it, is that it's not leisurely to the point where I'm not going to burn some calories, but it's sustainable over a period of time. In 1974, two cardiologists began to pay attention to the fact that high-achieving people had higher incidences of cardiac arrest in their life. And they wanted to do some research to figure out why this was the case. So they got a bunch of people together and they began to look at why is it that folks that could be in good shape still had higher levels of cardiac arrest. And what they found was that people that lived at too fast a rate and at too fast a pace of life ended up being people who, who felt like the urgency and rush of their life would lead to adverse physical effects. They coined this term in 1974 something called hurry sickness. But there's quite literally a pace and a way of living in our minds and lives that can lead to physical implications in our body. 
And so we're going to have a little bit of fun today and take a quiz to figure out if we're sick or not. Y'all ready? All right. So here's the deal. I want you to raise your hand if this resonates with you. I'm just going to give you five things, okay? Um, the first one is this. You find yourself as a person who tries to get it done as fast as possible. Like, are you that person? Yeah, go ahead and raise your hand. Do you look for the shortest checkout line? Is that anybody in the room? Yeah? Are you, like, constantly evaluating that? Yeah? Okay, good, good, good. Uh, do, you, uh, do you find yourself changing lanes while driving, like on 417 or I-4? Yeah, okay, yeah. There's no shame or guilt, all right, it's okay. It's okay. I, my hand is up, that's me too, yeah. You, you, in the words of Jeff Foxworthy, you might be, you, you might be uh, suffering from hurry sickness if you try to get it done as fast as possible. Here's the second one. You multitask. Anybody like, I can get multiple things done at the same time. Do you know that neurologically you can't? You, your brain can only focus on one thing. So you're lying to yourself, but we all do it, right? On the cell phone, while in conversation, answering email while watching television, at the dinner table, while trying to have a conversation with your spouse, right? Yep, okay, good, good, good. Uh, the third one, delays irritate you. You get mad at the person at self-checkout. Anybody been there before? Yeah, yeah. Have you, ever been, have you ever been in a situation before where, like, you're counting how much, uh, how many items somebody has at the grocery store in the 10 or last line, and you're like, how dare you, right? It's like, who do you think you are, right? But you've got 13 yourself. I know who you are. Yeah. Okay. Fourth one, you just feel behind schedule. Like, you're running from place to place. Anybody there? You're barely able to keep up. It's like 60% of you show up to church 15 minutes late. Ooh, okay, yeah, all right, here we go. I mean, I would be you if it were me. Come on now. I have to be here on time. All right, here's the last one. And that's even sketchy sometimes, all right. Here's the last one. Rest sounds like a dream instead of reality. Like you see work six in rest one in the scriptures as a great idea, but that seems like an impossibility. Like how in the world can I actually work six in rest one? You know that in the United States of America, there are millions of hours of unused vacation days every single year because we don't take our vacation. Yeah. And listen, we can pride ourselves on the hurried life and the busyness that we're living. But what's terrifying about that is what Dallas Willard says. Dallas Willard is this great theologian, pastor, perhaps one of the greatest voices of the 20th century. And he says this, that hurry is violence on the soul. Hurry is violence on the soul. John Mark Comer has this great line where he says, hurry kills relationships. Listen to this. Love takes time, but hurry doesn't have it. Like that marriage that you want, it's not going to happen if you're rushing. A life-giving romantic marriage doesn't come from late check-ins and two ships passing in the night. Long-lasting relationships with kids don't come from late nights and missed dinners. Deep friendships don't come from lunches that happen with cell phones out on the table where you're constantly checking texts while somebody's sharing with you how their life is. And intimacy with God and hearing his voice, they don't come from drive-by prayers or quick Bible readings, the best things in life, the best relationships in life, they take time. And Hurry says, I don't have time for that. Now, this, the study on hurry sickness was pretty inconclusive. 
um, about whether or not uh, hurry actually leads to adverse effects with your physical heart. Well, what I do know is that hurry definitely leads to adverse effects in our spiritual hearts, in our spiritual lives. We live in a world that wants us to hurry up, that wants to wear us down and wants to burn us out. And the reason why the world and our culture has a vested interest in doing that is because the way that it says you can solve your problem was with a, fix, a quick fix and a quick buy. So if you just have this thing, or if you just purchase that, or if you just get away on this, this vacation, then everything's going to be okay. But let's be honest. You've bought that thing and still found yourself empty, tired, exhausted, and burned out. You've went on that trip, and you came back just as tired after that vacation as you were before you went on it. Because one week a year, or goodness, two weeks a year out of 52 is not going to be sufficient for our bodies and our hearts and our minds and our souls to be healthy. We don't need... We don't need just two-week vacations to get healthy. We need a way of living 52 weeks a year, 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, seven days a week that allows us to wake up in the morning refreshed, waking up in the morning excited, waking up in the morning ready for what God has for us, attuned to our relationships, connected over the long haul. Isn't that the life we want? That life is not going to come by looking at the culture. That life comes by looking at the way of Jesus. Jesus who says, come away with me. Watch how I do it. And I'll give you a real rest. I'll teach you how to to live freely and lightly. And that culture, the culture that bucks up against that, is easier and it's quicker, but it's cheaper. And Jesus says, hold on. If I were able to accomplish as much as I were able to accomplish in the same human body that, you're, that you have, 2,000 years ago when we didn't have Google Maps, didn't have text messaging, didn't have email, didn't have any of those things, if I could be that productive at a pace that was sustainable, Why do we think that we could do it better than our creator? And I've learned this in my own life. That because the culture that we're in pushes us to pace and speed and hurry, unless I'm intentional about what I say yes to and what I say no to, I will not walk this path with Jesus. I will run out ahead of him, exhausted and tired, and then yell at him, to hurry up and follow me. And how foolish an idea for me to look at the creator of the universe and say, why don't you follow me, Jesus? When the invitation that Jesus has given us from the beginning is that we would follow him. So, we're at the beginning of a year. You are ridiculously in control of your life. You have the capacity and the ability to make choices and decisions that allow you to wake up refreshed, allow you to go to bed fulfilled, allow you to experience the fullness of what God has for you. And the greatest enemy to your spiritual growth is not that habit you can't kick. Goodness, you might have that habit because of the thing that you haven't been able to figure out, which is the pace. 
The greatest enemy to your spiritual life isn't the house that you grew up in or the background that you have or the, the, the history that you've come from. The greatest enemy to our spiritual life is the pace and the speed that we choose to live. And a hurried life does not have time for the relationship that God has designed us to have with him. Oh, but when we walk, when we walk at the pace that God has designed us to move at, when you and I make the decision in the month of January to press pause on our life, to recalibrate and orient ourselves around the way of Jesus, this invitation to live freely and lightly, Perhaps we'd have the kind of year that we've always dreamed of having spiritually because we decided to pause. You know, um, Stacey and I have worked through this process over the last number of years where um, we've, we've had to figure out how to deal with my desire to walk faster than her. And so there are occasions where I'll be out ahead of Stacy. And instead of yelling out in frustration towards me, Colin, slow down. Colin, relax. Colin, let me catch up. Stacy has this phrase that she'll throw out. Sometimes she has to say it a little bit louder than others because I'm that far ahead. But she'll say this in this most gentle and kind voice. Hey, Colin, would you like to walk with me? And I stop and I say, would you like to hurry up? Like I say... <laughs> It's this reminder, oh yeah, getting there without you isn't the win, but getting there with you is. And I wonder if the voice of God might have brought you into this room today or it might have brought you to watch this online today to speak that same gentle word to you. Hey, would you like to walk with me? Because that's the good news. The God of the universe, he wants to walk with you. The God of the universe wants to be in it with you at work, in it with you in parenting, in it with you in singleness, in it with you in every aspect of your life. But he never ran in the New Testament, and he ain't going to run now. So the invitation to you is to watch how he does it and to walk with him. And the good news for all of us is that he wants to walk with you. So that mind, would you stand today? I'm going to invite you here in a moment to respond. For many of you, this is the first time that we've been in service together. It's a new year. Our first time singing songs of worship. Our first time connecting with God. And I want us to set aside this moment in this service, this moment of the year, to respond to the voice of our Heavenly Father. So I invite you right now, if you would just close your eyes. Everyone in this room, this is for you to close your eyes. I want to ask you this question. What is the pace of your life? Does the pace of your life look like a walk? Three miles an hour. Does the pace of your life look like a walk? Or 
Lord, does it look like a run? Because the invitation of Jesus is to walk with him. You can do more if you walk with him than you can do on your own running ahead of him. He is a perfect plan for your life. Good works created in advance for you to do, Ephesians 2 says. And those good works have been designed for you to walk in them. Not run ahead, but walk in them. So here's the invitation for 2023. And here's the invitation I would give everybody in the room now. And if you would say, hey God, I need to walk with you instead of run ahead of you. I need to walk with you instead of run ahead of you. God, this is my prayer for the year, that I would walk with you instead of run ahead of you. Would you just open your hands right now and mark the moment saying, yeah, that's what I want in my life. I want to walk with you instead of run ahead of you. Don't allow this moment to go away. Decide this year Right now, I'm walking. I'm not running. I'm staying close to you, not getting ahead of you. Let me pray, Father. Father, we thank you that you, um, you know what's inside and out, every hair on our head, every fear in our soul, every worry and concern. God, there's not an aspect of our lives that you don't know. That you have invited us into a lifelong relationship of just walking with you. Trusting that if we, if we walk with you, we'll experience a free life, a light life, a connected life. God, for a number of us in this room, that, that prayer is going to come with some, some processing. We're going to have to let some things go. We have to start some things over. Would you give us the courage and the strength to do it? With the good news that because you walked up Calvary and took on the cross, that we can walk with you every day knowing that freedom and grace is here. So Lord, we love you and we bless you. We pray that you'd give us the courage to come back week after week to learn what it looks like to pause, to be people who live a life with a pace of grace. These are the things we pray. In Jesus' name, everybody says, amen and amen. Let's sing together.